do me a favor this morning. We're going to jump right in. We're on our Holy Spirit series. We're in week, uh, week three. If you have a Bible, which I hope you do if you have your phone, uh, I'm going to pray. But go ahead and open to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and let me just pray um, as we just welcome the Lord in this place to speak to us. God, we are opening your word this morning. God, in our prayer is that we wouldn't read it, but it would read us, God. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and have your way among us. Come and have your way right now among this church. Jesus, we thank you that you are the word of God. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you lead us in the truth of understanding that word. God, receive all glory. Receive all praise. God, would the words of my mouth, would the meditations of my heart be pure in your sight. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in week three, like I said, of our Holy Spirit series. Um, we kicked it off the first week, and we didn't really bury the lead. A lot of questions around the Holy Spirit uh, were revolving around speaking in tongues. It was one of the most debated gifts, I think, of the Spirit. So Pastor James said, why not just do it the very first week we have, this, have, the, uh, have the series? So he, he kicked us off week one. And if you didn't hear that message, I would highly encourage you to go listen to it. Um, I did not grow up in a, in a environment in, of, of faith where speaking in tongues was encouraged. Um, I had a lot of questions about it up until I was about 18. Then I went and did an internship somewhere, which I'll, I'll tell you about later. And uh, I had a lot more question marks than I did periods of, you know, definitive belief, right? Um, and I tell you, that message, I've heard a lot of messages on speaking in tongues, was one of the best messages I have ever heard. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, it really, really was something special. And then last week, we talked about wisdom and understanding. We talked about how people can be smart, but they're not necessarily wise, and how wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. And he talked about Solomon and how Solomon asked God for wisdom, which, complete sidebar here. I had this thought last week. When Solomon asked God for wisdom, to you parents, do you feel like that was discipled into him to know what to ask God for? When God would ask him a question, what do you desire? What do you want? He would say, I want wisdom. So I want to tell you parents, you might have a Solomon in your midst that you can disciple in. Uh, it, you can disciple into them. Hey, when God asks you for something to my young child, my four or five, six-year-old, my 10-year-old, my 18-year-old, what are you going to say? Solomon would say wisdom, and I thought that was absolutely um, incredible. So continuing on, like I said, we're going to be in John 4. We're going to talk about Spirit and truth. We're going to talk about spirit and truth today. It, this, in this encounter in John 4, of the woman at the well, which we're about to read, Jesus kind of changes the dichotomy of what worship is up until this point. And he uses these words, spirit and truth. I got 26 verses to throw at you today, which for me, you know, that's probably less than normal. I preached the whole book of Jonah in one day. You guys remember that? And you, and you survived. You survived it. Uh, you didn't get swallowed by the fish. He did. But you read the entire book. You sure did. Amen. Uh, I'm going to pick up in uh, chapter 4, verse 3. So read along with me. It's going to be on the screen behind me. It says, So he, talking about Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, this is important. It says, Now he had to go through Samaria. Quick side note. Does Jesus ever have to do anything that the Father's will does not require him to do? He is God. He doesn't have to do anything, right? But you have to understand early on just the context here. If you don't know anything about Middle Eastern uh, geography, that wasn't a class I took at Fletcher. I didn't really take many classes at Fletcher, let's be honest. Um, is, is he's leaving. I'm sorry. I always hate on Fletcher when I'm up here. And I absolutely loved my experience at Fletcher. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm really sorry. Uh, Jesus is heading north. He's going back to the Galilee. So he's leaving this region of Judea in the south. Samaria is smack dab in the middle. And then there's Galilee right above it. It's like an Oreo of Judea. Samaria is the icing. And then on top is Galilee. The only problem here is Jews never passed through Samaria. Jews never passed through Samaria. It would be like if you came here and you lived in South Jack's Beach or Ponte Vedra, 
let's say you lived in Ponte Vedra and you had to come all the way to Beach's Chapel for church, you would naturally, as a Jew, do everything you could to avoid Samaria. In the same way, if you're coming from Ponte Vedra, imagine trying to avoid Jack's Beach. I mean, right? Doesn't that sound a little bit like kind of crazy? You would either have to go way out to Kernan and around or San Pablo, wherever you consider the end of the beach, right? You'd have to go around, down, and back down Atlantic, right? You guys got that? You guys know where you live, right? Cool. Okay, I'm not crazy. In the same way, if you're leaving Judea and you're going north back to Galilee, they would either go all the way west, they would go along the coast. Sorry, this way, if it's, if it's reversed, this is west to you, I guess. Or they would go east and they would go through the desert. They would do everything they could to avoid Samaria. But John writes, Jesus has to go through Samaria. That Jesus had to go, there's, there's something that's about to happen in Samaria that would lead Jesus through Samaria. And we're not going to preach about this today, but Jesus only does the will of the Father. Are we about to see the heart of God put on display here? I think that we are. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. It says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. They're a lot like me. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew, and I am a, I, I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John just straight up tells us, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. There, there is years upon years upon years of, of complete separation between these people groups. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Amen and amen and amen, right? So here's this, here's this encounter, like the woman at the well encounter. This is one of the top 10 most read stories in the New Testament. And what's happening here, like I said, Jesus following the will of the Father. I, I just feel like we really need to quantify that, right? He's going through Samaria. He's going through the no-go zone. And if you haven't, I haven't watched all of The Chosen, but if you've seen The Chosen, I think they depict this scene incredibly well, and it's free, and you should go watch it. Uh, wash, sorry, watch. You should go watch it. Don't wash it. I don't know how you do that. Go, uh, go, go watch it, because even the disciples are like, you're going to go where? You're going to go through Samaria? Okay, great, awesome. Um, but it's important to know when and who, not just where, but when and who. And that's what I want to talk about. It says that about noon, Jesus would go to the well. Jesus goes to the well, not expecting anyone, right? If you're, if you're a normal person, you wouldn't expect anyone at the, at the, at the well around noon because it's hot. Like, y'all, it's hot. But he gets there, and, there's, and there's, there's this woman that approaches. This would be like, this woman going to draw water at noon would be like you. Imagine from the beach having to walk to Costco to go get a case of water and walk all the way back at like noon in July. Would you ever do that? Not in your right mind, people. Or, or better yet, if your car didn't have air conditioning, which I had an old BMW once that I bought for my father-in-law that didn't have air conditioning, and I, I drove it for like probably a year or two. 
I should have drove it for like, you know, one winter and then realized this ain't working, even in the winter. But I, you know, I survived. We're trying to save money. Ministry, you got a ball on a budget. Listen, it was hot, y'all. The sunroof, you'd kind of crank open like with this little thing or whatever. And it was supposed to let the hot air out. I just think let the hot air in. Um, but but I, would, I would strategically plan the clothes I was going to wear, the errands I was going to run, because I couldn't go to a meeting in jeans and take that car because I would show up and I'd be disgusting. So I'd wear shorts. I'd try to go in the morning. I'd get to work super early. And I'd leave kind of late because, why? It cools back down. And here we have this woman going to the well at noon. No one in their right mind would go to the well at noon. And here she is. And more than that, she's a Samaritan. She's not a Jew. And Jesus decides to strike up a conversation with her. God's heart is so evidently on display for how he sees all people. Remember the previous chapter of John? Remember that verse that we like to quote, John 3, 16? For God so loved the, what word does he use there? The world. For God so loved the world. He loves all people so that whosoever may believe. Say whosoever. Whosoever. Are you a whosoever? This woman is a whosoever. Let's keep reading. Oh, no, I jumped ahead. I'm sorry. I told you I have to write it down, y'all. told you I have to write it down. Anyway, I don't want to jump ahead. I want to, I want to harp on that for one second. A Jewish man talks to a Samaritan woman at the well and says, I have living water. And you can almost, like, hear it in her voice. She's like, where, where, where is this living water? <laughs> Covered in sweat. Her shoulders hurt from carrying the... the the load of God knows how many gallons of water. She's like, you, you have this water, this living water that I, that I could have? Like, give, give, dude, give me a drink, right? But Jesus looks at her and says, if only you would have asked me, I would have given you that water. He's like, look at me. Hello. Hello. Hey, it's me. I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. I'm the one they've talked about in the past. And you can almost like... Like I said, you could hear the desperation in her voice. And he, and he continues on in verse 16. He says, he told her, go back. Go back. Call your husband and come back here. Verse 17, she says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, which I don't think it sounded as like abrasive. But he said, the fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And I used to read this and think, God, this lady's got issues. Five husbands. You would have thought maybe after two that marriage wasn't for you. Five husbands. But that's not at all what this, this, is, this is depicting. That's, that's, that's just blatant ignorance. Because did women get to decide in the first century when and who and why they got married? Right, wrong, or indifferent, which I think it's wrong. They had no say in that. They had no say in that. But then he adds, and the man you are now with is actually not your husband. Meaning over and over and over and over and over again. This woman dealt with rejection. She dealt with the fact that nobody wanted to commit to her. She would be played with emotionally, physically. She, would, she might be neglected or abused or I mean, think about the baggage and the emotional trauma this woman carries. Five times she's been married, and the man she's now with refuses to accept her and commit to her. But she meets this man named Jesus at a well in the heat of the day when she's avoiding everyone else in the town. And he says, I can give you living water. 
and I see you. I see you. I just wonder, like, has anybody been to the well? And has Jesus met you there? And has he told you everything you've ever done? Have you encountered what kindness looks like? Have you encountered what acceptance looks like? Have you encountered a man who sees everything you've done, who knows everything you've done, every thought you've, 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 that has gone through your head, and he says, yeah, but I can give you living water. I can give you living water. He doesn't say, man, it's pretty embarrassing you've been married five times. You've still got an indent from the ring on your finger that you keep having to take off over and over and over again. That's pretty shameful. Well, I wonder, like, what you tell your husbands on your wedding night every time you get married. Like, it's surely not the first time you've done this. He didn't say that. He says, yeah, you've been married five times, but I can still give you living water. If your mind had a USB, you just put it in your head, and yet at the end of the day you exported it and you let anybody watch it, what would you think? I'm just going to pull it out. I'm going to give it to my wife and say, here's everything I thought today. Take it a step further. Everything you've ever done is on the same drive, but it's not just thoughts, it's actions. You give them, you give them that USB too. Jesus says, yeah, that's great. I'll take both those. Do you want living water? Do you, I mean, can we just stop talking about the, do you want living water? Here's a God that accepts us, not for where we're going to be, but for where we are. Gosh, I love that. Verse 19, let's keep reading. It says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus, I think, it says declared but I don't think it's a loud declaration. I think he looks at her with the kindness in his eyes and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm he. I am he. The one you talk about. The one speaking to you, I am he. I'm the one. I'm the one promised from years and years past. I'm the one that they talked about in the scriptures. I'm the one that you're looking for, that all creation is groaning to come. I'm the one. And not only does Jesus reveal himself as living water in this passage, this would be the first time in the Gospels that Jesus reveals himself as Messiah. Mind you, to a woman, out of well, in the heat of the day, to someone who's been outcast, abandoned, she's got to go get water at noon. He reveals himself to her. He doesn't wait till TV is invented. He doesn't tweet about it. He doesn't wait till he can have a large media pl platform. No, he's in the first century. And he goes to the, the people on the margins. And he says, this is me. I'm Messiah. Mind you, he didn't even, he had just performed miracles in the same book of John. And if you remember right, he actually tells people, don't go and tell everyone that I'm the Messiah. 
And I think in the back of his head, he says, because there's a woman that I'm going to meet at a well that I want her to hear from me first. I'm Messiah, and you are worthy of my spirit dwelling within you. And I have come so that whosoever might believe would not perish but have eternal life. This is the woman. This is the time. Hello, I'm Messiah. She, and I don't have time to preach about it today, but she later goes on and evangelizes the entire town of Sakar in Samaria. There are churches in Samaria to this day because that woman planted seeds of faith. The woman who had been divorced five times. Could, we, could, you, could you please stop disqualifying yourself from, from, from sharing the good news of God, from loving people well, from being a part of a thriving church, from the ministry God is calling you to because of what you've done in the past? She could have said, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty unworthy. I'm, I'm pretty like, you know, I've been married five times and, you know, I've, I've got these kind of issues and I've got this baggage. It's like, what? Do not call unworthy what God has seen as worthy. And he has redeemed you, amen? Is that anyone's story? Have you been redeemed? Has he met you with the well? This is the revelation of a lifetime. And what happens in this moment, and this is where we're going to lean into for the rest of the passage, is she has an understanding, a revelation of who Jesus is. That's a moment of salvation. And at this moment, I don't know, look, I don't know if she receives the Holy Spirit right here, because later on, Jesus actually says, the Spirit will come later. Okay, but I'm not here to get in a debate about that. I think this woman is saved in this moment. When we talk about this language in the evangelical church of have you asked Jesus into your heart, have you been saved, those are all different ways of saying, have, has, did, did you confess and did you believe in who Jesus is and what he did? He hasn't died at this point yet, but she believes in him as Messiah. That's enough for me to say this woman's, I'm going to see this woman in heaven. I'm going to see this woman. She's going to be spirit-filled, and she's going to evangelize an entire region of the Middle East. She has this revelation of Messiah. So it would be natural, it would would only be natural that the verses to follow, she would say, yeah, but you Jews, almost pointing a finger saying, I want to believe in you, but you Jews say that if I'm to worship God, and at the time the Jews kind of had this say on who can, how you can, where you can, right, worship God. If she's like, if you Jews say that I have to be on the mountain in Jerusalem to worship God, She's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm a woman. I can't go to Jerusalem. I'm a Samaritan. She's actually not allowed to walk further north than Samaria, right? She's like, what do, what do, what do I do? And Jesus says, well, well, hold up. You've heard it said, but I say to you, a time is coming. A time is coming where God is looking for people to worship in spirit and in truth. He's saying it's not about where you worship. It's not about the temple. It's not about, look, it's not about uh, this church. It's not about the geography. It's not about the setting. It's not about where you go. It's not about how you do it. It's worship in spirit and in truth, period. Because God is spirit. And like I said, and, and Pastor James talked about this in week one. Ephesians 1.13, which I have on the screen. I want you to read it with me. When you, when you believe in Jesus the Holy Spirit immediately takes up residence in your heart. Immediately takes up residence. There's nothing you can, you can do or pray or there's no, there's no works you can conjure up to either get rid of that or to earn it. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, say when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. 
And like I said, I don't want to get into a, a, a long, a, a, you know, apologetics in this debate and say, did the Holy Spirit come yet? We're going to operate under the assumption this woman was filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that okay with you today? I don't think it's any grand blasphemy to say that she, she had a revelation of Messiah, believed in him, clearly confessed she told the whole darn region she was filled with the Holy Spirit because the revelation of Jesus changed everything in her life and she was full of him in that moment. But like I said, she asks questions like, well, where do I go to worship? How do I go to members class? Can you... Are you going to buy me a Bible? She just says, you Jews say this. Jesus says, hold up. Let's read it one more time. She says, sir, verse 19, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Somebody underline in their Bible, must. The place where we must worship. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. This is important because our worship would be invalid if these words were never spoken because we'd have to go to Jerusalem every time we wanted to worship. And I don't know about you, but I don't have enough Delta Sky Miles to make it to Jerusalem every single weekend when I want to go to church, okay? You Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He is seeking worship like this because he desires it. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth in the spirit, and in truth. This church will fade away one day. This building right here. And if if it lasts until Jesus comes back, praise the Lord, I hope it does. But when he comes back, he's gonna make everything new. There's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. And while I believe that these walls can tell stories, I believe that these walls could testify of the salvation and the life change and the impact that people have had in this room, it would bring us to tears, yes and amen. But this church will fade away. The mountains will fade away. The nicest architecture you've ever seen on the planet will fade away. When the Jags get a Super Bowl, that's going to fade away. And they will in Jesus' name. Your truck will fade away. I'm so sorry to tell you that. Your house will fade away. But Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall. But... The word of our God endures forever. And when he makes everything new, thank God we don't have to go to Jerusalem to just worship or come to this church just to worship because these things are going to go away. And would our worship terminate when the geography changes? He would say, no, 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 I'm going to put my spirit in you. That's why God desires to do it so badly. I want to dwell within you because this is your key. This is how you get Worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about where you go, not that the church isn't important. It's not about the temple, not that the temples aren't important. They are. Not that mountains are, 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 are somehow an eyesore for creation. They're absolutely incredible. It's just saying it's no longer about this anymore. I desire to dwell within you because I want you to have access to him. And God made you in his image, which means you are, you are spirit. 
And we have this unique role as people to take the hand of earth, the dust of the ground, which we were made of, and the hand of our God, who is spirit, and join the two in a priest-like manner as we worship and pull heaven a little bit, or sorry, pull earth a little bit closer to heaven and pull heaven a little bit closer to earth. You, you can do that. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a priest. I'm a priest. You can access God. Not because you went to the mountain, but because he is within. And when you believed and you confessed, he considered it pure joy to dwell within you. Just like this woman. And he says spirit and truth, which I used to think were kind of these competing things sometimes. But let me tell you, I'm not a huge, I'm so sorry that I'm about to say this, Kiki, please forgive me. I'm not a huge camping fan. I don't really get why we camp. It doesn't really make sense to me. Like for thousands of years, we found this thing called, you know, a air conditioning and running water and roofs that don't leak. And when I wake up, like, I don't like to have like mildew on my pillow or um, maybe not mildew. What's that? Sorry, just do, just do. I'm not going to, mildew is when it gets gross, right? Um, I just don't understand, like, and I don't like when my feet get all dirty and then I got to get in the sleeping bag and it's like, like, who wants to sleep on their own dirt? Like, that's just disgusting. Wash your feet. And when you, like, shower, every time I shower, I just feel like I rinse off when I'm camping, you know, just like that scene from Elf where he's, like, trying to get the water on him, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's not enough friction. We got to get some, if you want to get clean, you need friction, okay? You got you to clean some, and I just feel like when I'm camping, I'm like, I can't, this is not good. I digress. When you're camping and you build a fire, do you ever sit around the fire and wonder if the fire is going to be hot or if it's going to be bright? Are you ever like, man, I can't wait to cook marshmallows. I hope the fire is not just bright. I hope it's hot too. Or do you ever, like, if it's really dark outside, you be like, man, I hope the fire is not warm. I just hope it's bright. It's fire. <laughs> you don't have to hope anything. It is equal parts hot and it is equal parts bright. But why, for so many years in our churches, have we been able to almost point out spirit-filled, they just care about truth, don't really know what they care about. Um, uh, maybe they're a little bit spirit-filled, but they like the Bible, I think, right? Why, why, why is there a spectrum all of a sudden in, in, in different churches and denominations these days where I can lean heavily into the spirit and I can sing in the spirit and I have a prayer language and I trust the Holy Spirit and our services to surrender the plans we have, but also I make a big deal about truth. There's these people in scripture called the Bereans and, 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 and John, when he's writing Revelation, he said they search the scriptures. They search through the scriptures like, like a mountain to be climbed so that they might find all truth. But why, like I said, I didn't grow up in an environment that necessarily fanned the flame of, of a spirit-filled worship or, or speaking in tongues. I think it was also, it was, it was maybe even joked about at times. And, and, uh, and I just remember like, man, Y'all are really taking the fun out of fundamentalists. Like, this is not, man, okay, this is, we are really into the Bible. Praise God we should be into the Bible. And our, our, where we hold the esteem of truth should be at an all-time high. God's word is perfect. It is true. It is right. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is forever. But void of the Holy Spirit, it's just knowledge that puffs up. And void of the Holy Spirit, I think you tend to believe that not only is Scripture correct, but your interpretation of scripture is also inerrant, and I promise you it's not. But if we go the other way, I'm not trying to offend anybody here, but if we go the other direction, and we just shoot about a keep all day, like, 
our spirit is so encouraged, but our mind is pretty shallow. I was on a plane coming back from Costa Rica, sorry, from uh, Kansas City one time, and I met a Jehovah's Witness on this, you know, the seat next to me. And look, I don't, like, I'm pretty extroverted, but when I'm on a plane, something just shifts in me. It's like when I'm at the gym, it's like, don't talk to me. Like, this is my time. I'm just going to sit here. The guy looks over at me. He tries to evangelize to me, which they're really good at. I got to give them that. They're, they're pretty, sir, do you have a minute to talk about our Lord? It's like, hour? What do you believe? Like, what? My ability to have a conversation with him, which was very heady, came from the hours I have spent in Scripture to be able to say, no, you, God is, or Jesus is equal to God. Like, his sacrifice did pay once and for all. But if you don't know the word, when you go out on the street, right, when you're on the airplane, yes, you have a way to tell people there's a God who loves me and he saw me at the well and he's for me and not against me and he knew I got divorced five times, but still he accepted me. And that is a beautiful testimony. That is a beautiful testimony. And thank God that our testimony can also lead people to Jesus. But without truth, what are they actually putting their hope in? Spirit and truth. Say it with me. Spirit and truth. One more time. Spirit and truth. We need to find the balance of spirit and in truth. We need to know what it's like to linger in worship. To just sit around and let the melodies prophesy over you. But we also need to be very particular about the songs we sing, right? In our church, we sing songs primarily to God, but we also sing songs about God. There's this song that we like to sing, uh, Our God is a lion. You know that song? The Lion of Judah, right? That song's about God. You are good, and you're never going to let me down. That song is to God, directly to God, right? And both are okay, and both are right, but both need to be grounded in Scripture, do they not? Because primarily, especially in our day and age, People's theology of who God is is primarily built in worship because it is much easier to memorize and learn a song than it is to open your Bible, is it not? It is easier in your car to put on a worship playlist and not just listen to the audio Bible while you're driving. And, it, and, and I, I love the audio Bible. I'm sh- you know, surely not a hater, but, but the, pr- the, the primary way, especially young people, are building their theology is in worship. So what are we singing? The songs we sing is, are so, so, so important. We've been writing songs as a, as a team, and before we actually take them to the studio to record them, we sit down, Pastor James and I, and we just highlight anything that maybe could be questionable, anything that could be hard to understand or hard to grapple, and we labor over the lyrics that we're going to put out because they're forming who God is to you. And that's important, Right? That is so important. And, 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 and I know I just quoted it about how it's a great song to God. But that song, King of My Heart, You're Never Gonna Let Me Down. That is a hard lyric to put in a song. Have you ever felt let down by God? I surely have. I'll be completely honest. I surely have. But my relationship with him in spirit would teach me that he is trustworthy and he is for me. My relationship with him in truth would remind me that he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I might be let down. But the story's not over yet because the story's going to end good. And if it's not good, it's not over. You have to have both in both hands, do you not? To understand God. Like I said, I, I didn't grow up in a super spirit-filled environment, but I want this to, is, this is how I used to think of Holy Spirit. I got a little balloon. I told my wife to grab balloons. She grabbed the teal ones, thank God, go Jags. 
Somebody say Duval for me. Duval. Let me get some water real quick. But, uh, sorry, I held the mic right next to that. I just got to, there we go. I used to think, I used to think when you got saved, that you had to later be filled with the Holy Spirit. But turns out a lot of the evangelicals had it right, like in Ephesians 1.13. Soon as you, as soon as you say yes to Jesus, you're full of the Holy Spirit. Like, and you're full. You are full of the Holy Spirit. Is there any part of this balloon that's not full of air right now? No, this balloon is full of air. This balloon is absolutely full of air. And when you are saved, this is you. You believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You're full of air. But as you grow in him, what happens? It's like, man, I, I'm really going to lean into what it means to, you fill in the blank. I'm going to say for me in my journey, I'm going to get rid of all other secular music. This is just my story, just for a time. I still listen to like Jack Johnson. I love certain stuff, Cad. But, uh, but for a time, for like three years, I got rid of every song that wasn't a worship song. And I watched my spirit fill up a little bit more. And I dove into his word. I spent a year reading the book of Ephesians because I just, I didn't understand it. But Paul had this line in Ephesians 1.17 that says he's praying that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would awaken and, and, and rise up within us, that we might have eyes to see the hope to which God has called us to. So it was all about truth. And the balloon got a little bit bigger. But I'm still full of the Spirit. It's not that I wasn't full of the Spirit before, right? But I'm filled to a greater capacity. When I came to this church, and Pastor James, after, I've been, I've been leading worship for about um, 10 or 12 years, um, and, and Pastor James said, hey, here you have complete freedom to do whatever you feel like is right for you to do in worship. And I, like y'all, I'm kind of a control freak. I also struggle with, with being vulnerable and being intimate and, and, and showing the parts of my heart that are, no offense, but they're kind of for me. They're not for you. And the prayer language that I've developed in the, in the secret place and the things that, the tools I use to engage with God, it felt kind of private. He said, no, I want you to sing in the spirit and I want you to linger in worship. And I don't want you to be so worried about what people think about you that you have to beautifully create a worship set that ends just at the right time so that everyone feels good. And he's like, don't do that. He's like, if you do that, people are going to walk in. They're going to feel amazing. But as soon as they walk out, they're going to be exactly who they were because they came to hear Ben lead worship, not to encounter the Holy Spirit. So I had to take a faith step. I had to sing for 30 minutes, not 20. You know, a lot of, a lot of churches sing for like 15. You know what I mean? That's just how it is these days. So I had to take a faith step. And the balloon grew up a little bit. It blew up a little bit more. And then he said, hey, what would you think about preaching on stage? It's like, man, I could go a number of ways. Um, I got to write everything down or else I'm going to start talking about something that's not important. Faith step. And the balloon kept growing. This is you. Our walk with Jesus will help us grow both in spirit and in truth. Our worship to Jesus should be equal parts, the spirit that he imparts and the truth that he embodies, right? Spirit and truth. It's no one or the other. It's no, 
It's no like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stand on stage and I'm gonna read from the book of Romans and everyone's gonna get saved. Well, they're gonna hear incredibly rich theology of God. But without the spirit of God, they're not really gonna encounter much. Or I'm just gonna stand on stage and I'm just gonna pray in tongues for 45 minutes. That's not seeker-friendly church in case you didn't, you didn't know that. I don't think you're gonna have many people come back to your church. Why? Because their mind isn't edified. Their spirit is, praise God, but their mind isn't. I want to go ahead and call the band back up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this last, uh, this last story, and then, and then I want to close with worship and just dwell on the truth of this word. I did an internship at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, which is ironically where I was on that flight back from here for Thanksgiving about 10 years ago, and uh, that's when I met the Jehovah's Witness. Um, but I did an internship out there, and I came from a faith background that was that was probably more conservative, right? More, um, less, less, uh, I'm by no means trying to talk ill about anything because it, it, in a lot of ways, formed, formed my faith. But there were just things that I didn't know yet. I'll just say that. There were things I hadn't experienced yet. There's always more to fit in the balloon. There's always a deeper end, right? That's, that's all I'm trying to say. But it was my job when I got there for about four months to minister in the prayer room from midnight to 6 a.m., which, like I said in the, early on in the message, I go to bed at like 8 o'clock, okay? So it's like, I got to stay up till midnight, and then I got to be there till 6 a.m., and then when do I sleep, right? And it was cold. I did it in the winter. Huge mistake doing that in the winter. I had to buy an ice scraper one night in the middle of the night because there was frozen ice on my windshield. Like, what kind of godforsaken place is that? Okay. But essentially, it was my job to sit in there and pray to God, minister to God. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And that's what I would do. I would just sit there. And the spirit of the tabernacle of David, they would have these 24-hour prayer meetings. They're still going on. They haven't stopped. And I looked at, like, one of the people that was, like, in charge. I was like, what do I do? Like, you just, you just pray. You worship. You read scripture. You minister to the same God who met that woman at the well because he desires you. He doesn't care about what you've done or where you've come from. He desires you. And his spirit is alive within you. It's time for you to engage that part of your faith. So I sat there, probably third night in. First two nights were kind of a blur. Like, I just didn't, just kind of like sitting there and like, you know, right? But the third night I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. So I start praying. I pray for my family. I prayed for my friends. I prayed for my church back home. I remember I prayed for my brother for a while. I prayed for my brother. And I just prayed that he would know the love and grace of Jesus. I I. I prayed for past relationships that I just felt bad about having. Um, I, I really, like, I poured my heart out. I poured my, I poured everything I had. And I think God really did in a, in a unique way kind of meet me there. Then I looked up at the clock and it had been six minutes. That's not a joke. I'm not, like, I know people make a joke about that. That's not a joke. I looked up, oh, 12.06. Okay, great. So that night, I read the entire book of Job one night. Quite a journey. Like, let me tell you. Like, good Lord. And I looked at the clock. 3 a.m. Okay, I got three hours left. Three hours. And then my prayer just became, God, search me. Search me, oh God. Right? Like, just like he writes in the song. Search me, oh God. So, man, I can't do this if all I'm trying to get is knowledge. I read theology books. 
they had all these classes. I read four of the textbooks from the classes. And I remember after every single one, Jesus would be like, hey, um, that's super cool that you give me your mind. Amen. Love you. You're super smart. Love that about you. He said, when are you going to open up the caverns of your soul that you've just kept completely closed off from me? My challenge was to grow in spirit and learn that just because I had an ego of how I wanted to be received and the knowledge that I wanted to give, he's like, dude, ego ain't your amigo. Like, lean in to the spirit of God, the spirit of God. It's where I believe that I was filled to a greater measure with the Holy Spirit. It's where I first spoke in tongues. It's where I first sang in the spirit. Instead of tagging a song or singing a certain worship song, I just trusted that he would give me a melody to sing to him that would make his heart glad, not mine. Spirit and truth. But I had years, like I said, been leading worship for over a decade. I had years of hurt feelings and trauma and things in the church where they're like, you can't do this or you should do that or it has to be done this way. You can't quote that verse or you got to sing this song. And I was like, I was almost shaken up because I thought, man, I thought I knew the way to approach God. Surely they've trusted me with rooms to lead people to the Lord. And I'm having this encounter that's rattling all those things. But tradition's not built on scripture and walls built to block maybe you off from the Lord. I don't know. That's what I was walking through. And I had to, I had to be okay with God shaking up that foundation. Saying, hey, I'm making some room in your heart for other things. You're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. And there's going to be some things that you've got to unlearn before you can do that. And I just wonder in here, would you just close your eyes for one second? I don't know where you came from in your faith. Okay, everyone walks in here different. Some of you grew up Baptist or Catholic or charismatic. Some of you were in Sunday school with Moses. And some of you, this is your first Sunday ever that you've walked in. I know everybody comes in different and that's okay. Because the model here is that Jesus would meet the person who's untouchable and he would accept her for who she is. So you're not too far gone. You're not too ignorant. You haven't done too much. Right where you are, Jesus meets you. And I just wonder, what are some things that you need to shake off, that you need to unlearn? What are some areas you need to step out, just like me, and say, yeah, I'm okay if everyone in the room doesn't think I'm a good worship leader, if I'm trusting the Lord, and if I'm giving him all that I am, and if I am the living sacrifice, and I'm singing the song that's pleasing to his heart, that is enough for me. What are the things that you need to shake off unlearn and forget today, right now. I'm talking about right now. Right here and right now. With your eyes closed, I just want you to start putting your finger on those things. When's the last time you danced in the aisles? When's the last time you were brought to tears by the goodness of God? When's the last time you just opened the word and said, let it read me, Father? I don't know what it is for you, but he does. And listen, we are all on a journey of sanctification every day. Until the day we reach the pearly gates, he is working on you. He doesn't want a part of your heart. He wants the whole thing. But just like the balloon, I think he wants to fill you a little bit more today with something that is new and fresh. Jesus, our hearts are open to you. God, our minds are open to you whatever spirit you would want to impart, whatever knowledge or truth you would want to impart, God, we receive. 
we engage the spirit that you've given us, God, but we also, we remember the truth that you embody. And we just say we are yours. You can have it all. We're not, we're not, we're not hiding anything. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Jesus, we're so thankful. You can stay seated until you're ready to worship, but we're going to blow the roof off this place today. and Some things are going to be shaken up, and that's okay. But I don't want to force anything out of you. I just want you and him to figure out what it is he's leading you into what it is he's trying to reveal to you. And when you're ready, you can stand and worship.